Hello, and welcome back to Hope Reclaimed. I'm your host, Ellie Hope Herringshaw, and I'm glad you're here today. It's on this podcast that we talk about active and practical ways that we can step into healing, because Jesus has already extended everything to us, and sometimes he's inviting us to step in and receive that for ourselves. Today, I have a really fun episode. My friend Brooke Peterson and I were both turning 30 this year in June, and so we've decided to team up and put on a virtual run to raise money for a great organization. The organization that we chose is called Beautiful and Loved, and Chersty Bohr is the founder of that organization. So on June 6th, we are inviting you to run 10 miles, donate $30, or more, we would love that too, suggest a donation of $30, and run what you can. (laughs) If you can't run 10 miles, that's fine. Run what you can. But we're hearing from Chersty today. She's going to be sharing her testimony, and it is so powerful. It is also important that I note that in this episode, we do talk about sexual violence as well as those in the adult industry. So if this is sensitive to you, or if you're listening with small children, maybe this isn't quite the episode for you today. So I'm going to stop talking and let's just get into this episode. Be encouraged. This is such a joy. This is a Hope Reclaimed exclusive, having a co-host, a returning voice on the podcast, Brooke Peterson from Well Women Co. Welcome, Brooke. Woohoo. Thanks for having me, Ellie. We, we have our own mini talk show today. I know. <laughs> Virtually, but yes. but we're not here to talk, you and I, although Correct. that should happen sometime soon. Um, but we're actually here to interview a new friend. I have Chersty Bohr from Beautiful and Loved, and she's going to be here to share her story, and we're going to talk a little bit about what Beautiful and Loved is all about in um, here in the Twin Cities. So glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited and, and honored to be able to share my story with you guys. Chirsty, if you can just catch us up current day. So to share with us, you know, let's do current day, where you live, you know, do you have a family? And then we'll dive into your story. Love it. Sure. Yeah. So um, I live, I live with my husband. We've been married for 14 years and we have two amazing children um, uh, that are, they're 10 and 11. I have a son and a daughter, and we also have two dogs. And we love to jump on the trampoline when it's nice out. And I love to play cribbage and write. And so I'm sewing some um, hospital masks right now for hey. everyone. So, yeah. You're doing your part. I love that. I am, yes. Yeah. Why don't we just dive in? What has been, what has led you up to this? And then what led you to um, begin Beautiful and Loved? Mm-hmm. Well, so it was birthed out of my own experience having worked in a strip club. Um, I was, when I was younger, I experienced sexual trauma. I was exposed to um, pornography throughout my life. And both of those things really shaped this identity that I, that I had, or that I thought I had to live up to. Um, Because my parents were divorced when I was so young, I really didn't have any male figures in my life. And those that would come into my life expected and treated me, um, uh, I was sexually abused by, by them. And so that became my identity, just that I had to, in order to get attention from people, 
in order to get um, some sort of approval that that was often coupled with sexual activity. So when I was about 14, I started using drugs. I was really promiscuous. I noticed though, when I would use drugs, my life was kind of going downhill. When I didn't use drugs, I was really involved in activities around in my life. I was cheerleading in student council and I would do really well in school. But I always felt really different from the kids around me because of, I think, the secrets that I held. Um, and when I was a senior in high school, two friends of mine were driving me home from a party one night. And one of them was like a previous boyfriend of mine. And the other one I'd been friends with for a long time. And um, instead of taking me home, they took me to a parking lot and they raped me. And everybody at school found out about it. And I took all the responsibility on and um, really would, would never have thought of it as rape at that time in my life. Um, because I was used to saying no to people and I was used to um, then having to give over and give people what they wanted. So, but that event really changed my life. It changed this. I, I had, I did have um, some hope at different times in my life that I was going to, you know, achieve great things in my life. But after that happened, and it seemed like everybody kind of decided that I was making choices, it was like a sink or swim moment. I could either say die of humiliation because everybody knew what I had done, or I could decide I was going to take on that identity and of someone who was very promiscuous. So I just kind of decided to take on that identity. And um, around that time, I had a friend. She had been wanting to work in a strip club since we were about 15. And I thought that was crazy. I would never have wanted to do something like that. But at that point, everything had just gone downhill for me. My grades were super bad. I couldn't get into any colleges. My mom was an alcoholic, so nobody was really involved in guiding me throughout my life. And so I just after I graduated from high school, a week after my 18th birthday, I followed her into the strip club. And um, the manager looked us up and down. He said, you girls could make a lot of money here. And it was like, finally, I had this place where all of this, these secrets that I had been trying to hide had a place to come alive. Like that kind of behavior was uh, valued there. And it was, um, I, I was getting money to do it. It was like a quick reward every time I did a dance for a different person. And so um, the thing that happens in a strip club though is th there is no, there's really no safety in a strip club. We think that because it's legal, it's probably safe. But um, when you walk into a strip club right away, you know that people's perceptions and morals and ethics are going to be different than they are in the outside world. That's just the very nature of a strip club. And so even though I had, you know, worked in a donut shop and gone to public schools and um, worked in a restaurant, I knew there were certain laws about sexual harassment and things. And so I expected those rules to be upheld 
when I walked into the strip club because it was a legal establishment. And I was even told by the management, customers can't touch you. So the first time that a customer uh, verbally or physically assaulted me, uh, physically assaulted me, I jumped up and I said, you can't do that. And I told the bouncer and the bouncer just laughed it off and said, hey, buddy, don't do that. And the manager said, what, you, ha you can't let that happen again. Like, why did you let it happen? And he had put the blame on me. There were all kinds of reasons I should have run away then, but he was my manager and I needed him to like me to be safe. And so I took on again the responsibility for what had happened to me and began to really figure out ways to dissociate. And we really can't, it's impossible to separate our spirits from our bodies, but when you work in an industry like that, you have to figure out how in order to keep letting people abuse you. And so I became a daily drug user. Um, that was my way to dissociate and try to disappear. Um, I ended up eventually over the course of several months working there within about a year, I guess, I went to go see the movie, The Lion King with some friends. And um, so this was back in like 1993, 94. And we had taken some drugs and we were watching the movie, but there's this part in the movie where Simba's dad is in the clouds and he says, remember who you are. And in that moment, I felt God just step into every part of my pain. He shattered all of these walls that I had built up. And all of a sudden I experienced his great love for me. And there I was working in a strip club using drugs every day and he adored me and I had no idea. I left that night thinking there was something really fabulous that had happened, but in my mind it was probably the drugs. Like I had given the credit of that experience to the drugs. So the next day I used like twice as many drugs and had a horrible experience. But what happened was I realized it wasn't the drugs and God was so powerfully pursuing me in that moment. He just didn't, he didn't let me veer away from him. And about that same time, my stepmom gave me a Bible and I started reading it and every word was transforming me. It was giving me this new identity that I didn't even know I was capable of receiving. So I started on this journey to be be with be with god in in this new part of my life i ended up leaving the strip club but the problem was i was pursuing it all by myself and we had gone to church when i was younger but i really didn't understand this walk with the holy spirit i didn't understand this transformation of walking with christ i didn't even know even though i was reading the bible that his name was jesus that god's name was jesus i didn't understand <laughs> that connection yeah, because you didn't have the community to help you kind of establish some of these things, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. So I was walking with God. A lot of change was happening in my life. I was giving up drugs. I was doing, I went to school. I went to community college. I was doing really well in school. And then um, I met this guy and immediately he was super sweet, super nice. Um, I felt really great that I was dating like this 
normal guy, but I had gone through all of these experiences and had no idea how to be transparent with someone. And so it made me really nervous. So I kind of set all of my journey aside that I'd had with God at that time. Again, I didn't have anybody to talk me through it. I didn't have anybody to say, let's pray about this. Let's, let's look at the word and let's see what God says for how you should approach a relationship with someone. Um, I had no idea. So I put aside God and I started using drugs again and started dating him and thought he would like me better if I was the party girl. And um, basically, it just went really far downhill after that. Um, but God loves us so much, he never gives up on us. Over the next several years, I um, went through kind of the darkest times of my life, ended up going back to the strip club, left the strip club again, um, was drinking very heavily, had kind of burned all the bridges around me, was very alone. and. Just one day, um, ended up quitting drinking. My stepmom said, I think it's time that we get you some help. And in all that time, nobody had really ever offered help. And so I got sober. I went to AA and I got sober. And then I had this passionate pursuit of God. I was looking for him in every way. And I followed a Hindu guru and I read tarot cards and I practiced the law of attraction and I hugged trees and I prayed to mother moon and I did everything that like I thought the world was doing until several years later, along that way, I met my current husband. I, um, we got married and we had our two children and I was still really pursuing God. And it seemed like everything had sort of like worked out in my life, but I still had that hole in my heart. And then a friend of mine told me about his transformation with Jesus. And I started pursuing that. And, you know, kind of everything changed when I started to pursue Jesus. Um, it just like one day I was outside playing with my kids in the backyard and it was one of those spring days where it's super hot outside, but there's snow on the ground and everything is melting into puddles. And uh, we were in a, the backyard in our rain boots splashing around and I had to run in really quick and I run into the house really quick and I just sat and prayed and I just said, Jesus, if it's you, I need you to come into my heart because I don't know what to believe anymore. After that, I walked outside and everything was like glowing, like golden. And I just thought, well, that's interesting. <laughs> but after right. that, it was like really closely after that, I just totally gave my life over to Jesus. And I learned about this strip club outreach stuff, which I had never heard of before. But what the idea was, was that women who had formerly or not worked in strip clubs, we're going into strip clubs and hand delivering gifts to the women working there just to tell them that they are loved and valued and purposed. And I thought that is Jesus. Like that is real Jesus. Totally. Not afraid, like meeting yeah. them where they are. And so that's what in 2012 we started. We started bringing gifts into the strip clubs in the twin cities. And, um, you know, whenever you go into ministry, and I'm sure you ladies understand this, whenever you walk into ministry, 
Like you think you're going to be doing something for someone else. And God is like, but I brought you here for you too. And he starts to work on your heart. Charisty, I just want to acknowledge your story a little bit. And first of all, what an amazing journey that you've been through. And we just honor you for sharing that and for finding victory in the midst of it that you're going to dig into a little bit in a moment. But I want to go back because in your life, I see these turning points, almost these pivot points. And, you know, as I'm hearing you, your story, although my pivot points didn't look like yours, I still had pivot points in my life that were catalyst moments for me to make a decision. And so I think I just want to bring that up because everyone listening, although their pivot point might not look like mine or not look like yours or Ellie's, we all have these pivot points that we have a decision to make. And, you know, yours was when you are a teenager and you were taken advantage of horrifically. And you mentioned you had a choice. You had a choice to take on this new identity or essentially die (laughs) like probably in a lot of ways and because of being in this place of unsupported you didn't know the lord you didn't have hope or anyone to turn to your response was survival which is what everyone's response would be and so i feel like in your young age and perspective is like in order to survive i must put on this identity as a clothing and so then that was your identity. That was your way of life out of survival, not because you wanted this lifestyle. No one, I'm sure the woman you work with, like chooses this lifestyle necessarily is like, this is my goal in life. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's the, it, it's a, it, yes, I walked into the strip club, but at that moment I didn't have any, really any other options. Right. And, and that, that's what I want to highlight. Like you, you were surviving and, and then you had another turning point with the encounter at the movie, which you mm-hmm. thought were drugs. And now fast forward, you know, that was the Lord. And so, yeah. um, and then you had the encounter with your stepmom saying, Hey, let's, let's get help. And again, you chose help. And even in that moment at the movie, you chose to step into that moment. It doesn't matter if you were high on drugs, you literally, you felt it, you encountered it you, you received the love of God. And I believe like those seeds and how you chose to respond to that moment, you know, continued your, to open your eyes to his pursuit throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And so again, I just want to, I just want to highlight those turning points that you've, you've had throughout your life and acknowledge them as so profound and that each one of us have those. And I bet if we took the time to kind of look back, okay, what were those turning points in my life? And regardless of the decisions I made, how can I redeem those? Like Ellie, like she's reclaiming those moments. So how can all of us reclaim those turning points, reclaim those pivot points that are inevitable in our life into something that is now beautiful and loved? (laughs) (laughs) And, and going, going off of that Brooke too, because the enemy sees those points too. He sees those pivot points and he wants to, he wants to use them for his for, for evil in the world. He wants to use it for your destruction, but the Lord wants to use those pivot points when we orient ourselves to him in those, that then he brings good in our lives. And he brings, I mean, he brings good out of everything, obviously, but, um, but, but the enemy is working 
hard to make us not mm-hmm. do that. What And what's been so amazing or beautiful is that he has not just taken moments from my life and transformed them. He's actually taken me to like exact spots, like locations where some sort of transformation happens. Not only am I, not only did I go back to the exact same strip club where I worked and brought women gifts with a message for them to know that they are seen and loved beyond measure, beyond anything they could ever imagine. But like part of another like tiny part of my story, like when I first learned about God and my stepmom gave me the Bible and God was walking with me so closely, but I had this moment where I was sitting in my bathroom um, and I prayed a prayer of like, Lord, I, I think I'm supposed to just walk away from you for a while because I can't learn the things that you need me to learn if I'm this close to you. And it happened in the bathroom. And that's where I do a lot of thinking and praying. Now, I um, think that the, the enemy is super crafty. And so the way that he said that to me sounded so much like God. So I literally said, okay, I'm going to just walk away from God for a while. And I closed a little door in my heart and I felt it close. Now, when I told you about this story about how I went back in the house after many years later on the beautiful spring day when we were playing in puddles in the backyard, I walked into the bathroom and I sat down and I prayed that prayer. And I realized later God had used the exact room I mean, not the same house, but the exact room where I had walked away from him to bring me back. Yeah, that's, that's, um, I think there's something very powerful about specific places. And I talk about that on my podcast a lot, actually going back to those places to reclaim them. For me, it was making a list of restaurants and coffee shops and, and um, movies that I needed to rewatch and, and food that I needed to eat again with new people um, to make new memories and redeem those places that felt mm. so broken. Um, and the Lord meets us in those places to, to bring goodness into what was stolen or what seems dark. That's really mm. powerful. I love that you were able to go um, to that to that strip mm-hmm. club you worked at. Yeah, to bring that light and to show um, to show those women that they are beautiful and well. Loved. And what's so powerful is we know that when we're talking to the women in the dressing rooms, that we're looking at them through the eyes of God. And and that's the gift for us is we get to see those women, how God sees them, these precious daughters of the King. And we know that as we are talking to them and looking at them, looking in their eyes, that we are looking at them in such a different way than anybody else that's going in there that night, that we don't ever have to like go in there with the Bible we have, but we don't have to, we don't have to bring up, we don't even have to bring up the name of Jesus because he, you know, he walks, he's alive in us. And as soon as we encounter those women and the men that work there, they experience something so different that God just speaks for himself in those moments. And um, yeah, it's, 
it's pretty cool to be able to experience that. We went to a porn convention once and um, were able to pray with one of the women there, knowing that the conversation that we're having with her about her playing the cello and how much she loves to plant gardens with her mom is going to be so different than the person who's behind us in line. And we know that her life is going to change because we're walking into her space, into her job, and she's experiencing the love of Jesus right where she is that there are times too where we'll ask someone if they would can we bless you with a prayer and once one of the women said oh no i don't pray in here i don't do that here and we just know that but but god is with you wherever you are he's here with you and he's not here to bring about shame about where you are he's here to bring about remembering about remembering who you are remembering who you are. And I love that that's why, that's how you got the name of your organization, mm-hmm. Beautiful and Loved. Mm-hmm. And that comes from um, a scripture. Well, actually, it's actually one of my favorites mm-hmm. um, from Song of Solomon, right? Yes, four seven. you are all together beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. But you know what's interesting is, so that wasn't the original scripture that we, um, that we chose. And this is, Brooke, also a pivotal moment. Like one of the big pivotal moments in this ministry and in me was I was praying about trying to find this like foundational scripture for our our, um, ministry. And I came across Isaiah, for no longer shall you be called deserted or your life desolate, but you should be called Tesla and your land Ayula because the Lord delights in you and your land will be married and the Lord will delight over you um, the way a groom delights over his bride. And so, yes. Okay. 62.4. Thank you. And so um, Hephzibah means my delight is in her. And when I first read that, I was like, yes, God, you delight in these women. You love them. You delight in them. And that's our message. And then he said, but do you believe that of yourself? And all of a sudden in that moment, I had no idea what the word meant. I had no idea what it meant or would look like or feel like for God to delight in me. And so I had to sit with it because in order to do any kind of ministry, I'm not going to tell people something if I don't believe it for myself. If God hasn't done the work in me, I can't tell you he's going to do it in you. That's not fair. Plus, most of the time we can figure that out. Like, If someone tells us Jesus loves you and you can tell, but you don't know if you believe it, you know, if that person doesn't believe it for themselves, you can tell. And so, um, so I had to sit with him and that was when he really started to do this work on like how he sees me and that I get to embrace and let him transform and, and speak to my heart. It didn't happen just once when I gave my life to him or once in the Lion King, like he continues and continues to desire to uproot those deeply rooted wounds and replace it with his truth, with those love bombs of, you know, uh, my delight is in you. And so when we um, talk to churches and stuff, um, God has really challenged me on this, which is the only reason why I feel like he's allowed me to challenge other people on this too. But like when we were talking about, when we talk about language and how you talk about people that you 
or ministering to or anything, people that you serve. We get a lot of emails from people that say like, I have a heart for the broken, so I want to help you. And I usually reply and say, thank you so much that you are interested in pouring into God's beautiful daughters. Because um, I try to redirect people's thinking from saying broken to life-giving things. Because we all have some brokenness, right? But, um, but that's not how God sees us. He does see us as flawless. He does see us as we are, he, he delights in us. And if we, if we see someone, it says in Proverbs eleven eleven that you can build up or tear down an entire city with your words. And if you see someone and you say, oh, that person, oh, my, that person is so broken. I just, Lord, I pray for that person. Or if you drive past a strip club and you say, Lord, just burn that place down. Or you see someone who has, this, this happens to me often. Like you see someone who has a lot of maybe plastic surgery done. Oh, I just feel so badly for her. And, or a child star who's dancing around without a lot of clothes on. Oh, where are her parents? Like think about the words that you're saying about these people in those places. God gives us also the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6 as part of his weaponry to fight for him. And he doesn't tell us about this battle of the spirit so that we can feel afraid of being in war. He tells us so he can arm us up and make us warriors. And the sword of the spirit is his true word. So if you are going to speak something out over a city, over a person, wield your sword and speak life. Drive past the street club and say, the glory of the Lord delights. The glory of the Lord shines over that place. You know, when you see the person with a lot of plastic surgery and, and you feel like, oh, that person must be broken. Apologize to anybody. I have nothing against plastic surgery. I'm just saying this conversation comes up, you know, um, is that she is more precious than rubies. And if we're going to be serving and loving each other as women, we need to see each other as God sees each other and fight for each other, wield that sword, you know, and it also says the enemy is the prince of the air. And so how, do, and that's in Ephesians 2, 2, I think, I think, anyway, maybe it's Proverbs. Anyway, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's so, it's so good. And those are, again, that's a tool. I know the women I work with in my programs, this is literally a foundational thing. We talk about our words. We talk about what we're speaking over ourselves, our body, our family, because it literally and scientifically and physiologically impacts every part of our being so i love that you're leading this ministry and your organization on the foundation of that truth of what we speak really matters even when what we see the reality is like yeah that's broke that's brokenness i see brokenness it's real but we can also like you said we're that in a way a different way where we're actually speaking light and we're still addressing the situation so Chirsty, i'd love if you would bring us up to speed of what does beautiful and loved do specifically and what does your role look like that on a daily basis what's the what's the current um, impact and focus that you guys are having right now in our in the twin cities um, of minnesota specifically yeah. so we our goal is to form relationships with the women that are in the clubs um, just as a byproduct of that we also form relationships friendships, I guess, with the men working in the clubs, although we don't minister to them. But um, so we just want to be a support for the women working in the clubs. 
We don't ever try to get them out. We don't ever want to change them or anything like that. We just want to walk beside them and encourage them the way that God encourages us. And so we started out going to like 12 different clubs in the Twin Cities. Um, over the course of time, uh, so many clubs have closed. And so, or they're in transition. So we try to keep in contact with the women that have been working in the clubs, like via Facebook or texting or phone calls and try to get together with them when we can. Um, we are um, fully volunteer based. We are a 501c3, but we're fully volunteer based. And so we go once a month. We'd love to go more, but right now we go once a month uh, to two different clubs. And then we rotate through the clubs that are in the Twin Cities. And so on the second Friday of every month, we meet at my home church, Oak Hills Church in Egan, and we at 5.30, and we package gifts for the women, and then we pray over the gifts. And then my trained team and I will bring the gifts, hand deliver them to the women working in the clubs. Sometimes we bring them right into the dressing room. Sometimes we drop them at the door. It depends on what the club allows. Um, so we are trying to open up other opportunities for people to be involved. Um, one way for people to be involved would be to come to our pack and pray. Another thing that we did this year, and this was we decided to, God just showed me a map of um, the Twin Cities, and there's an area zoned specifically for adult entertainment. I don't like to call it adult entertainment because that makes it seem like it's okay if you're an adult, but um, there's an area zoned in Minneapolis for adult entertainment, and we did this event called In Circle. And so what we did was we met did praise and worship, and then we went out in teams of three in nine specific designated corners surrounding the area zoned for adult entertainment. And at the exact same time, we all sang the exact same praise and worship playlist and um, just praising God for what he's doing. And after that, two strip clubs closed. So in the last year, four clubs have closed. And so there are only like six that we go to now. Um, and so we're hoping to do more events like that so that anybody can come, um, can come and like just pour their heart out for what God's doing for women and men who are in the sex industry in the Twin Cities. Do you have um, stories or relationships, you know, examples of certain women that you've built relationships with um, throughout your time. And I know your goal isn't necessarily to get them out or to, you know, try to have an agenda for the outcome, but right. do you have a, a path marked out for some of these women who are, who are looking for another way? What does that look like? Well, um, we do, we have formed some relationships with some of the women outside the clubs. Um, and it's interesting. So this is definitely a ministry of time. My friend Maria says we're in the book of Acts, not the book of Numbers. So um, our successes are going to look different, differently than other ministries that might um, have like numbers of people who have. But what we have, we do have relationships and we have stories. And there have been a few women who have left the industry and have reached out to us 
to walk with them. Um, we, we've helped pay rent before. We've thrown a baby shower. We've, you know, walked with women as they've had to go to the hospital because of trauma that they've experienced. Um, what's beautiful, though, also is when we, for example, I just was at um, a treatment center and I was sharing my story and one of the women raised her hand and she said, you guys came into the club when I was working and it really meant a lot. It's just little things like that where we don't always get to hear how we've affected people or, or if we've even impacted anyone. But we know that just by planting seeds, um, people, when you feel seen, you know, I remember one time when I was in college and I was incredibly depressed. Um, I was walking through the commons and there was like a custodian walking by and he waved at me and smiled and he was like, Hey, hi. And that was it. And that changed my day. And I remember that. I remember that one tiny gesture. So when we know we've been seen in a place where we feel alone, you know, we have stories of like that, that like all the time, one of the women we, we, during the Super Bowl, when the Super Bowl was here, we went into one of our favorite clubs, um, where I guess I would say our, some of our favorite women are in, the, in there. And one of the women was just so tired. And we, and I came up to her and I said, you look so tired, but you are so strong. And I just started speaking life and whatever the Holy Spirit was speaking. And then Two months later, when we saw her again, she said, when you came in here, do you know what you said to me? You said I was strong. And just that for two months, those words hung with her. You know, it's those kinds of things that we celebrate as God's victory because the words we say and the way that we look at people are the things that linger. Yeah. I, and thank you so much for asking that and why I wanted to to hear you articulate that is really to give all of us a vision and a, an idea of the transformation that's happening. And I personally love that model. I love the model of the one who is the one, because that's what Jesus modeled. He left the 99 people who were all right. And he said, I'm going after the one. And so it's a model, I believe for all of us in our life to take after who is that one person in our life that we come across with that we come in contact with, that we can be that custodial staff per se and look them in the eye and say, hey, you matter. Hey, you're strong. And you're doing that in a place that, frankly, not a lot of faith-based people or even people who have strong morals are at, you know, in these, in these places that is offensive to the church. So that's just, that's just the reality. It's, it's an offensive place typically to the American church or the religious system. And you are just bucking that system and going straight into a place that would be offensive to anyone else to say, Hey, you are loved. I see you. And that's another key. I think for all of us to take away of if it's in your place of business right now, if it's in your place of parenting, wherever you, whatever role you play in, in your life, we all want the numbers. We all want the, success story after story, the after picture. But what really is profound and what I believe really attracts the favor of God is when we are people who say, 
no, I'm going to steward exactly what's right in front of me. And, and personally, I love to help women uncover their stories, uncover their passion and turn that into a purpose, turn that into profitability, prosperity. And you've done that. You've taken your story, your experience, the pain is now literally your platform. And that is such a powerful example to me. So there's a lot of takeaways for me personally of how you're leading this organization um, that is, I believe, very effective, um, planting lots of seeds that will go on to bear fruit and success stories that you might never hear. And it's a, a model, I think, for all of us to follow. Mm, I agree. And and I think that um, the most, you know, I love, I, I appreciate, and I, I appreciate that you are giving me any credit for what's happened in my life, but I can honestly say, um, and I'm not trying to sound like stereotypical, but it's totally Jesus because I didn't, like I said, with the Bible verse, like my delight is in her. I didn't, I couldn't have owned that for myself. I didn't even know what it meant. And it's because he loved us first that we can love. And I think it's really important, especially when people want to get involved with our ministry and stuff. I really encourage people stick with God and your testimony and know how to say to someone, not Jesus loves you, but Jesus loves me. And this is why he took my heart that was so hardened and he has made it soft. He took my life that were of abandonment and he gave me a family that loves me. He, he transformed the way that I see myself. And that's my testimony. And that's what I want to share with you. You know, I have people sit and like, think about what is your gospel truth? And that's what we can share with other people. And and that's where the power is, I think, because we know that, anyway, <laughs> I was going to go off on some like um, polyvagal theory stuff. Are you familiar with the vagal nerve and all that? So the vagal, are you? And so we're, we're created to be, um, you know, the body remembers trauma and we're created to be in relationship with people. And we, if, and our polyvagal nerve controls all of our uh, main, um, organs and everything like that and um, breathing and everything and um, our fight flight freeze response all of those things when we are listening to someone's story we actually experience it oftentimes and so because our brain can't always tell the difference that's why they have athletes picture themselves succeeding it helps their body understand how to succeed and so the reason it's so important that we have our gospel truth at our fingertips is because then when we say to somebody our gospel truth, they can experience it. And I ask God, like, why would you have trauma be memorized in our body? I don't want it to remember. But because I, my, that was what he taught me. He was like, well, because your story, when you tell your story, is just as powerful in transforming that memory in someone's mind because they can mm -hmm. also experience your story and experience your transformation just by listening to it. Wow. Thank you so, so much for sharing that story because I think we all feel that. So the power of testimony, just like you were saying, is profound. We don't even know everything that the Lord does in that, not just building our faith, but it helps us be united in the goodness of the Lord Praise God. And I'm so thankful that you were able to be here to share this 
amazing story. Tell us about your organization and that we all three get to partner in this really cool way. We're mm-hmm. going to be um, having this royalty run on June 6th, which is very, very exciting. We have um, the link to the GoFundMe account. We have a recommendation that you um, that you donate $30 for this run. We're running 10 miles, which is going to be so fun. Start running, start training, and start educating yourself on what's going on and um, get partnered and pray. And guys, this was so fun. Thank you for all coming together and being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Wow, wow, wow. Love this episode. I love Charity and I love Brooke. Brooke has a podcast of her own and it is incredible. So make sure that you head over to her podcast called Well Women Co. and go subscribe to it. Please hop onto the GoFundMe page, get more information and sign up for the run. We would love to have you there. Remember, there is healing and there is redemption in Jesus. And there's always hope. Hope is my middle name. I'll see you next week.